Um, so we'll make we'll make a start. Um, you know, first and foremost, thank you very much for joining us um, to this digital drop-in session. Um, we'll go to introductions shortly, but I just wanted to give a brief sort of description as to, to why we're here today. So consumers' buying journey is becoming increasingly complex, which is something we're going to discuss as we go more through this session. With an ever-growing uh, number of touch points and exposure to product choice, in this digital drop-in, myself and Tom uh, will discuss and explain how and when you can disrupt your competitors' customers' buying journey to drive incremental growth. Um, we'll examine the effectiveness of using market tactics such as authority bias, um, scarcity, social proofing, alongside uh, the power of now to disrupt your competitors' brand loyalty and redirect the customers' buying intent to your own products and services. Um, I say thank you very much for joining us. We're really looking forward to delivering this session into a conversation, dialogue about what this means. As always, if you've got any questions, then just uh, fire them in. We'll try and address those as, as they come in, or if they're actually a bit too detailed, we'll pick that up at the end. But thank you very much for joining us at this MediaWorks uh, digital drop-in session. My name's uh, David Norris. I'm the Performance Marketing Director here at MediaWorks, which means I'm responsible for all of our paid channel activity. Tom, would you like to talk a bit more? Yeah, so I'm, I'm Tom, so I'm a paid search specialist. So um, kind of I look after the sort of delivery side of a, a number of the, sort of the paid accounts, but I also work as a strategist as well to kind of um, help with sort of the delivery and the overall strategy of a number of the accounts that we have here at MediaWorks. So I want us to actually sort of dive dive really straight into this. Um, Tom, do a bit of, of, of scene setting, if you like. And I know we've got some statistics for people when we were planning out the session um, earlier last week. Um, but I guess from, from our perspective, this comes down to in a world whereby customers consult on average 10 sources of, of information before making a purchase and, and you know, 90% of them, um, of customers switch between devices and platforms to complete tasks. What does the, the modern day customer journey look like from your perspective, Tom? Yes, that's, that's a really interesting one. I think looking at the historical data, um, so previously we saw 12% of purchases would occur offline, um, 11% would normally occur online, and you'd have 70% engaged in kind of a mixed mode um, purchasing sort of period where you know some people will be searching offline and buying online or they could be searching online and, and then buying offline. I think if we look at some of the sort of changes in that user behavior, we just have to look at um, sort of the lockdown period for COVID. If you take the age group of 18 to 24 year olds, they're spending nearly a full hour more um, every day online when we compare sort of during the, the COVID lockdown period to before that. So I think for, for that sort of age demographic, that's a, that's a huge um, change in user behavior in terms of how much they're engaging with online media and therefore the opportunity that presents itself. Um, in addition to that, so that's obviously looking at the sort of the younger um, demographic. When looking at the, the change in, um, I guess, behavior for an older demographic, so traditionally um, users that would be between 38 and 56 or 57 and 64 years old, we traditionally like look at these users to be um, less sort of tech um, savvy or potentially users that hadn't been fully sort of integrated within the world of tech um, and been able to sort of comfortable with sort of online media. So when we look at the influence that's had over sort of the lockdown period, we've seen that um, sort of demographic group have the biggest sort of surge in 
become uncomfortable with online media. So, for example, people that before um, sort of used sort of physical and um, press sources to access information, they're now going online. And then sort of there's a whole host of other sort of areas where we've seen increases in sort of an older demographic as well as the younger demographic. So, for example, online video, audio channels and online press have been really important for um, a demographic that can't necessarily access a physical um, news source or whatever it may be. So from a, an online sort of perspective, that's that's pretty significant in terms of um, a, a user demographic that's changing. And then ultimately, we have to look at how we can um, sort of utilize that and adapt to that? Yeah, I think for me, it's it's, it's categorized, um, <clears throat> online customer journeys have definitely been categorized by change. Um, I think it's the first the first thing to highlight. And one of the things we'll often talk about is that that high street analogy. So yeah. if you think about, about online and, and that customer journey and refer it to the, the comparative of the high street is, if you think walking along, there's never been sort of, more people interested in terms of reviews that you get in, whether you're getting recommendations, whether you've got sort of followers who are, who are going to follow you in the store, if you like, or interested in what you do. There's things like celebrity endorsement that's playing a key role here. There's obviously sort of, it's littered with offers. You know, we see it all the time. It's something we're going to talk about later on, but whether it be sort of free delivery, whether it be 50% uh, off, whether it be discount codes, whether it be sort of a whole host of, of offers and offerings across a range of, of diverse um, sort of channels. And for me, one of the things that we would be talking about here would be things like the borderless economy. You know, it's so vast now, the ability to compete on particular sort of phrases, keywords, terms, etc., from around the world is vast now. Um, and, you know, again, just breaking down some of those borders and again, drawing the, the, the high street analogy is previously you might have been sort of confined to your high street because it's in a certain driving distance of, of where you're based. But actually what we're seeing is, is with online, with the borderless economy element, is more and more uh, increased competition, more direct competition, more bidding on keywords, bidding on your brand keywords, etc. So these are things that we've got to, to deal with as part of that customer journey. And I think as we go through this session, we'll talk about ways that you can you can use that to play into your strengths and give examples of that. I think for a start, it's probably worth saying that that customer journeys are a really interesting piece. I think we all accept that there is a there's some sort of path to purchase for customers. I think from from our perspective, it always started with some form of intent and ended up with purchase. And then there was a whole host of things, whether that be sort of conversion metrics, whether that be consideration that you'd placed in the middle. But I think for, from my perspective, definitely one of the most important customer, uh, questions that we've now got to ask ourselves as digital marketers is, is how do consumers decide what they want to buy and who they want to buy it from? And I think we're always considering that from our client's perspective and then reverse engineering and making sure that we put ourselves in the customer psyche and really sort of thinking about the basis for which you are actually competing. You know, was it offers that were driving uh, traffic? Was it a particular uh, type of content? Was it a particular type of, of keyword, etc.? So I think that, you know, Google uh, have termed that the messy middle, Tom, um, and, and it's something that we, we have been discussing for some time. Yeah, definitely. And I think kind of when you were, it's really interesting when you sort of mentioned there sort of the online high street type analogy. If we look at how things were before the internet, internet we shopped on a physical street. 
we had less choice and less information of essentially the products and services that we were buying, which ultimately meant that our buying ability was was great, greatly restricted from a an availability point of view, but also proximity, sort of geographical geographical point of view. Um, and what that kind of meant was that brands would reassure us that, that we were making the right decisions. Now, if we kind of look at how things are now in terms of the messy middle, you know, users have unlimited choice and therefore the control that they can use to sort of purchase where they want. And, you know, I think kind of one of the things that we'll speak about today is the cognitive shortcuts that kind of ultimately lead to um, the factors that go into a user's um, ability or, or willingness to purchase um, from you. And I think a key thing that we'll also discuss about is the, in order to make it a success sort of the online marketing is being comfortable with the technology and the platforms that you're disposable. Um, and I think that, that's really important and ultimately, you know, using that um, information to actually deliver the results that's obviously required. Yeah, I think from my perspective, Tom, uh, and I know it's something we, we've been talking probably about the messy middle as Google yeah. term it um, for, for, for some time within MediaWorks. And I think it's a really interesting sort of piece of information. And like I say, you know, if you think that the marketer's journey, if you like, or the role of marketing sits somewhere between eliciting some sort of trigger and then right through to that purchase and even post-purchase stage, I think for us, we've been talking about how that is definitely a, a non-linear journey for some time because we're seeing some consumers coming in at what would typically be classed as sort of the, the conversion stage. So directly in at the zero moment of truth, where it's very much uh, one to stay in a hotel tonight, for example, in Newcastle. Um, that that really isn't a sort of typical customer journey in, in the truest sense where there might be an awareness piece, there might be considering a, 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 a other alternatives. And that zero moment of truth really is happening incredibly quickly now in terms of people are expecting the immediacy of online um, and, and being able to just go out there, get the information, make that decision in quite a seamless way. I think we, we sort of looked at really the sort of three key areas really for us when we were talking about today, which was number one, and we'll go into each of these in, in much more depth as we go through, um, the power of showing up. Um, so simply put, this really relates to just being present in moments of deliberation. Um, so where consumers are making that consideration, where they're thinking about what they're going to do, how they're going to do it. I think that's a really important element. So about how you actually just make sure that you show up within those moments. Um, the second one would be sort of several of the most uh, powerful behavioral biases identified can be easily addressed by marketers um, and, and really sort of sur sur uh, surfacing and modifying existing assets. So what does that mean in terms of the content, the way that you're going to change uh, your content, the way that you're going to position your content? What does that mean? How do you get those points across in an, in an online world? And then finally, sort of why addressing those points um, for some of the most powerful biases requires cross-functional cooperation. So yes, we're both from the performance and the paid team within MediaWorks, but the role that, that other parts of the business actually have to play in that. So I guess the first one I'd throw out there would be, so what do we mean by when we say, Tom, um, the power of showing up and being present in moments of deliberation? What do we mean by that? Yeah, so that obviously means that the, the ideal scenario is that when a key user um, is looking for your products and service, we're there to sort of um, offer our products and services. Um, and obviously that's really important for winning that user, you know, obviously visiting your site and, and making that purchase. 
one of the key things that we use within sort of paid search and other sort of online channels is the power of AI and, and things like smart bidding technology. As this is the most advanced, sophisticated way that we can understand users' intent signals to ensure that we are there when, they, when it matters the most. And that's also really important to ensure that we're there when it matters the most for our key users, but we're also being um, smart in terms of how we are appearing for a whole range of users. You know, not every user is going to be our, our sort of a key um, target perfect user. So we need to optimize towards that um, accordingly. So you know, kind of with, in terms of the power of showing up, you know, using AI and, and technology and smart bidding, things like that are, are really important in terms of making sure that when our key user is looking for our products and services, we can be there at the forefront to um, sort of offer them what we have and, and kind of you know, generate the, the highest amount of success. Yeah, I think uh, just a point I'd like to bring up with you, Tom, is around sort of that, that share of voice element or, or, or share of search, if you like, which I know is something we, we, we talk about quite often. How much um, emphasis would you, you, you give to that in terms of sort of share of voice around particular keywords from an, uh, from an ad perspective? Yeah, I think that's a really important one because, um, you know, it, it, that's a really sort of key metric that we would look at to fundamentally understand how we are performing um, independently, but also how we're performing compared to the market. You know, um, it's a very competitive digital landscape out there. So understanding that sort of the impression share or the, the share of voice that you have is really important for ultimately navigating through um, sort of positive and negative periods to fundamentally um, understand your, your your position essentially within the, within the marketplace, and that's fundamental ultimately for for driving and, and building a marketing strategy that ultimately is successful. Yeah, we'll we'll often have conversations around sort of um, lost lost to rank, um, yeah. and then obviously sort of lost to spend as well. So, do you just want to go into each of those in a bit more detail, Tom? Yeah, so that's like a really important thing that we look at through sort of paid search. So um, when we talk about sort of lost to rank, that obviously reflects the, the quality aspect aspect that we are being judged against. So if, for example, um, we are losing out on 30% of the, the total sort of share of voice, the impression share, and that's due to lost to rank and therefore a quality issue, you know, could therefore we be bidding more? Do we need to invest more into a channel? Um, are we investing in the right areas? Can we refine more? Ultimately, these types of questions are really important when we look at the, the position that we have within the marketplace. You know, performance could be could be good from what we're seeing within the account, but if you know the market is sort of a hundred percent higher than where, where we're at, that's obviously um, a missed opportunity that we're looking at. So I think that's really important when we sort of talk about that sort of share of voice and I guess the ultimate like um, looking at where we sit amongst our competitors, because if we keep if sort of if we take our eye off that. Um, the market can slip away and we ultimately can't be responsive when the next um, wave comes in terms of positive performance of being able to jump on board that. And I think it's, it's really important ultimately to know where you are um, to benchmark yourself against your, your competitors because, you know, that's going to be a really significant factor in terms of how, how, the, how you ultimately navigate your, your online strategy. Yeah, and I think we'll sort of move into to some of the, the sort of... Um, so the, the, the hints and tips that we'd suggest, if you like, I think, you know, it's worth saying that Google did produce a great report on this, um, looking at this messy middle element. And from our perspective, if, if, if you sort of break that down and think about sort of the six main criteria, I think when they did the research, they actually consulted with academics in the USA who said that there's actually 350 influencers um, that they can categorize purchase decision making into. 
sort of factors that influence purchasing. I think what we've done here is when we were putting this session together, Thomas, really focus on on six that we can influence um, in, in an immediate way from an online perspective. So, you know, number one being um, category heuristics. So these are things like shortcuts or rules of thumb that aid us in making a quick and satisfactory decision within a given category. So, for example, uh, an example of that might be how many megapixels does a camera have? You know, might be one of the error elements. So can we can we potentially play on that? Um, another might be sort of making sure that our, the information that we're providing is the key information that the customer's looking for um, in terms of the information that they want. Um, and often, I think it's worth saying here that there has been a shift from, from cheap um, to best over time. So that switchover in terms of trends really sort of happened around 2009 where you know, the, the, the internet, if you like, used to be a place where people went for the cheapest, you know, so they could, they felt that it was about exposing them to optionality where there was the cheap option um, and they could look for best prices. Whereas I think now what we're seeing is an increase in search for best hotel or best monitor or best watch or best t-shirt for, or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So again, be thinking about how you can play into those category heuristics. Yeah, and I think what that's really useful for is is they if someone looks for a cheap laptop, the best laptop, their their modifiers that users putting in there, which kind of reflects a cognitive and emotional snapshot in terms of um, obviously what they're looking for. And I think that's really kind of useful to look at the change in sort of the trend data where we've seen um, people searching for cheap products on a, on a continual decline, but people looking for the best product on a, on a continual um, sort of incline. And I think that's really important in terms of understanding the cognitive differences that potentially users are, are having now. You know, if we look at someone that's looking for a cheap item, that's quantifiable and rational. Whereas if we look at someone that is looking for the best, that's a bit more subjective and a bit more emotional. So obviously that's kind of a key thing that in terms of understanding the emotional element of what users are searching for is really important for obviously that, that sort of longer term sort of online strategy. So, so how, how would you suggest that, that people listening uh, to this to this session go about doing that? Like, what are, what are the hints and tips that you would give in terms of things like just in your, uh, you know, things that we've talked about, things like, you know, listening to your keywords, you know, making sure you're using the data to really drive that insight, be, be you know, have a real understanding of what are people actually searching for, what are people interested in? And then obviously the other side of that is then adjusting your ad copy to match that. Yeah, exactly. That I think there's there's two sources that I, I would kind of what we, we look at. The one of it is the sort of um, Google Trends data, so anyone can access this, and it's really useful to understand, um, as I kind of said, that the how you how users are searching and what they're searching for has changed over the period. And I think using that sort of publicly um, available data is really important for sort of um, sort of keyword research in terms of what we're going after, but also um, changing potentially on-site copy or, or essentially using the trends data, how people are searching to, to obviously affect our sort of um, online channels and our, our, our website. So I think that the trends data is really important to understand the wider industry and in the marketplace. What's really important also is to use your um, existing data. So for example, in paid search, we have the search terms report so we can see what users are actually searching for. So if, for example, um, we, show, we saw a big shift in that users were no longer searching for cheap, cheaper products and they were looking for the best type of product, 
That will be something that we would love to be dynamic with and respond to that through updating ad copy, through um, updating feed titles, and um, to fundamentally reflect what users are actually looking for. And I think using that, um, sort of combining the, the publicly made available data from Google and sort of putting that together with what your actual user base is searching for is really, really important for understanding, you know, that and essentially navigating through that messy middle in the way that you know what, what the marketplace is searching for, but you also know what your user base is looking for. And if you can adapt and change to that, that's obviously going to offer some, some really positive benefits. Yeah, I think the next point I would like to, to sort of follow on the back of that, Tom, would be around sort of authority bias. So, you know, what we what we mean by this is it's 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 the tendency to ultimately alter your opinions or behaviours and to match those of someone who we consider to be an authority on a subject. Now that can be your peer group, that can be colleagues that you work with, or it can be celebrities. Um, so in that online space, Tom, what would you be sort of advocating in terms of how we can potentially tap into that authority bias to, to steal market and, and steal people away from our competitors, if you like. Yeah, so with authority bias, I think that's a really useful one to, to look at sort of affiliate marketing sort of strategies and sort of paid influencer sort of marketing. And I think the, the fundamental um, sort of theory and reasoning behind this is that if we can provide users with opinions or behavioral traits that matches someone of authority, so someone that they, they respect and look up to and like, we take away that uncertainty that could be there about a product or service. Um, so if you are a new brand or a new sort of launching a new product, having that authority bias to ultimately, you know, um, show your key user groups that, you know, this is a user that you respect and, and look up to, they're using that product and service. It, therefore, that takes away that uncertainty, which is really, really useful for ultimately getting a product or service off the ground, but ensuring that it, it maintains that sort of high level of performance because, you know, if a user does become uncertain about your product or service, you know, that can be a big, big factor that makes them drop out of that sort of purchase pathway. So I do think that looking at it from a paid influencer marketing and a sort of an affiliate's point of view is really, really important um, from that perspective. Yeah, and I think that that then chimes in and ties in very nicely with the, the concept of third point we're covering really, which is around social proofing. So yeah. the role of what, what does social proofing mean and what does it look like online? I mean, we've, we've, you know, social proofing ultimately is sort of um, a tendency to copy the behaviour and actions of other people in situations of ambiguity or uncertainty. So that might be where you're searching, for example, for a hotel or you're searching for a pair of trainers. Uh, and really what you're looking for there is things like reviews. Um, you're looking for that type of of you know, we talk about word of mouth versus world of mouth, probably that we're now living in, where we're now looking online for these answers. And I know that, for example, from a shopping perspective, you know, you'll get product ratings, etc., that that really do have quite an influence on whether people purchase and their how comfortable they feel ultimately engaging with that, Tom. Yeah, and I think the a useful thing to kind of consider is that the internet has essentially digitized um, word of mouth reviews and recommendations. So, um, you know, a user may um, consciously or subconsciously be influenced by your advertisement based on um, sort, of, sort of reviews that you have on your website or seller ratings that you're able to put within your, your ads. So with obviously with paid search and particularly paid um, shopping, it's really, really useful to have sort of seller ratings to show to a user that your product, your product when it appears to them may look really good, but to have that sort of verification um, 
by other other sort of um, users to say yes, this product from this website is really good. I think that's massively important. Um, and as I say, it's, it's something that you know often users can consciously sort of think about that. But also, I do think there's a, there's a large part of it which is subconscious. If a user's user is shown a selection of ads, they're more than likely going to um, select the ad which has obviously a five star review within the, within the headline or something like that. And I think that's really really useful for. Um, again, having that competitive advantage whilst navigating through sort of the um, sort of the, the user's purchase pathway in that messy middle is ultimately you know showing them um, a key component that you know we are offering a high quality product or service which has been verified by sort of other users, and I think that's that's really important. Yeah, totally. And the example I would give here is how many times have you you put in a, a generic search term like I don't know, I say best best hotel to stay at in in Manchester or best hotel to stay at in Edinburgh. And you go into that with quite an open mind, or you might even go into that sometimes with a, a preferred choice in, in your mind in terms of you've done that research at the top awareness stage. So you're going in now with, right, okay, hopefully this hotel pops up because that's the one that I, I've already done a bit of research on. And then you're swayed by a rating or you're swayed by reviews or the ability to snatch that market share or the user's attention. Because I think that we all do it, don't we? We're always looking for those prompts and those cues that we're looking for that sort of tempt us away from that discussion. You know, yeah. then, then there's another element, Tom, which is around the power of now, um, which is for me a really important aspect and probably linked in a bit with also sort of the power of free. So if we're covering those two in, in, in an area is, is people are drawn, we know people are drawn to to sort of the immediacy of the power of now. So, you know, whether that be 24-hour sale or, or one-week sale, and we did a podcast, um, we did a webinar, sorry, last week on looking at um, leading into Black Friday and what that means and the potential lead up to that. And for me, it's, you know, it's a really good example of sort of the power of now and the power of free and what you can potentially offer in there is to get the, the customer engaged. So again, you know, what are things that, that listeners should be looking at? Yeah, and I think just to like look at the, the power of now to begin with, I think this is a, a really useful one. So, you know, when we look at um, how potentially we can um, sort of steal potentially market share away from our competitors, things like the power of now are really important for a user perhaps going with your service and products as opposed to um, a um, one of your competitors. And I think the power of now, obviously users want um, their products, services, information as soon as possible. So kind of one of the examples that we've seen through the paid channels is through some of our Amazon clients. So, you know, it's, it sounds probably simple, but if a um, if you can offer Amazon Prime versus not offering Amazon Prime, that's a huge factor in terms of if a user is going to use or sort of buy from your Amazon store, and so I think that in terms of the power now is a, is a really key thing that I've seen sort of in terms of sort of own clients, but also from the wider industry. If you can use things like Amazon Prime or certain payment options, whatever it may be, that ultimately speeds up the user's delivery of your um, product service, whatever it may be, that's really, really massive in terms of, again, looking at how we can steal some of the, the market share away from com competitors and, and really drive home that sort of performance um, through obviously gets our own own sort of uh, channels yeah um, sorry Tom just to come in there and I think it's an important point to make is, is around you know drawing that high street analogy again you know for me this is a really good example it's, it's the equivalent of you walking into you know a, a retail store on the high street 
and going to the checkout to pay for it and potentially you know one one company being able to say right you can take it home now versus another company that will turn around and say you can have it in three days time yeah. the reality is because we've now got such high expectations around immediacy of engagement and usage etc we expect and we look we're looking for that opportunity where it we want to essentially explore something and then we want to evaluate something and then we want to purchase the actual thing and get the product um, or service so for me it's about you know making sure that you understand sort of how you're going to position your offering to make sure that you're putting that forward and it can actually be delivered to you now yeah and then we, we talk about things like scarcity bias you know so so again saying you know this is is either time limited or quantity limited um, or access limited so these will be things where you know for a limited time only or you know we only have 100 left or 25 items left in stock and we'll talk about things like product feeds being able to to deliver that tom so you know we, we've, we talk about this quite a lot yeah definitely i think there's kind of two elements to it there's obviously with when we have like sort of things like products feeds um we want to make sure the user is aware of sort of the, the stock quantity for example that we have available so that's really useful to present that within our product feed but also within our landing page so you know, if a user clicks onto the, obviously through to one of our um, product landing pages, and we show that there's only perhaps three left in stock, that's a really useful but subtle piece of information we're giving to a user to show to them, you know, you know, you need to buy this um, product because next time you check it might not be here. So I think that from a conversion rate standpoint and ultimately encouraging users, users to purchase is really important. In terms of the, I guess, the promotional messaging that we put out, this is something I've seen work really well with a number of our clients. So I guess historically what would happen is that you'd perhaps be on a, a promotional period for a few weeks and months. And as you were looking to close out that promo, the messaging wouldn't change. You would just sort of, it may end on a Sunday night and you would close the, the close the promo. What we um, sort of had looked to do there is start to tailor ad copy to reflect this, I guess, the time limit on the promotional period. So what we see from that is if we can update display creatives or you know something as simple as um, promotion extensions on search or even just a plain and simple updating and um, sort of headline copy within search and to say, you know, that the promotion ends tomorrow or, you know, whatever the time period may be. That's really, really useful in terms of driving users to the site to make purchase because the, you know, the, the perception there is that, you know, if you don't buy now, you're going to miss out on, on a, you know, a really useful or really um, sort of valuable product service, whatever it may be. And that, you know, from, from experience, what I've seen is that the conversion rates and volume of sales massively increases as we look to sort of tail off a promo simply through and ultimately how we're positioning it to, to our user base. Yeah, and I think from from my perspective, it's a sort of a really you know good point that you've made there in terms of making sure we're tailoring that message and tailoring that that sort of that content, etc. And I think we've sort of covered off the final element, which is the power of free. So the idea of value-wise, I just want to pick up something. Um, you know, a question that we've been asked is around um, how would this work then with a with a product or service that isn't off the shelf, for example, something such as print. Um, so if it was, a, I guess, something as print, I guess the promotional type um, of sort of principles still remain the same of ultimately making sure that we're learning from, I guess, the, the data that we've got and ultimately trying to seek out um, as much um, useful data as possible that ultimately helps us sort of modify how we're positioning our, our product or service. 
Yeah, and I think for me, I would also be thinking about, you know, going back to sort of the, the, the element of, of, of category heuristics. What are people actually looking for? You know, again, you know, be thinking about what type of copy you're going to put out there. People are still going to be sort of actively searching, whether it's it's the end product. It might be the, the, the actual sort of the, the, the intent. So it might be, um, you know, need of, of printed wedding cards, you know, it might be something as simple as that, or it might be uh, best wedding cards uh, to use, or it might be things like uh, best pop-up banners. You know, that's the type of search that we'd be tapping into. So again, how do you then put that that copy together, or how do you essentially plan that from an uh, from an ad perspective? And I think when it comes to that, I'd be looking at things like um, again, what are people looking for? Is it is it strongest? Is it more sturdy? Is it um, sort of multiple colours. Is it multiple multiple faceted? Is it on print when you're looking at card? Is it is it print quality in terms of card, etc.? I know when I was getting um, married, my wife tried to tell me about wedding invites, and I I'll be honest, I couldn't get too excited. But um, you know, she was really focused on the quality of the product and making, and that was absolutely at the top of her her decision making tree was around making sure that it looked high quality when it went out. And I'd be also looking at things such as as your reviews that you've got around behind that. So yes, when somebody's searching for those, so once you've played into those category heuristics and looking at what reviews have you got and, and actually have you got a review on a particular product or is it just based on your organisation? I think we'd always be advocating going down to sort of that granular level where quantity and volume dictates that. And, and then also driving home on things like you know, immediacy of delivery. You know, we've talked about the power of now. You know, from my perspective, I'd be looking there at, is there something we can put, which is is, is very much focused on next day delivery, you know, or is it, fo- is it focused on turnaround time or is it get a quote, you know, where it isn't an off-the-shelf product? Is it that you're going to get a quote within 24 hours or is it that you're going to get a, a, a quote within two hours? Again, these are things that people want want information on and can really be the, the deciding factor from going from one product to another. So I hope that sort of, you know, thinking about how it would work with a non-off-the-shelf, non-conformist product, if you like, um, where there is much more of that, that deliberation and, and intent. And then I think that, for me, brings us to sort of the final point, which is around, around sort of the need then to be thinking about not just on a particular channel, but across channels, so thinking about the ability to deliver on this um, and, and really engage with that messy middle and steal customers, if you like, and, and engage with customers that are potentially not necessarily searching for your brand or your product, and how do you make your offering stand out? I think it's about how you make all the other areas of the business align to make sure you can actually deliver on that. So I know that we've talked about previously talked about the need, for example, your website to match what you're actually putting in terms of your copy, in terms of your advert, in terms of your creative, etc. Have you got anything you'd like to pick up there? Yeah, so I think there's this kind of two parts. One of it is obviously making sure that the, I guess, kind of the C, the, the, the key biases that we're sort of um, looking to take advantage of, that they're ultimately they're going to enhance that user experience piece. But I also think a really important thing to consider is that Kind of the six points that I highlighted before are obviously focused towards the user, but they're also, um, you know, very sort of uh, looked at closely from a from a channel point of view. So Google looks at, um, you know, the quality of your website. The, you know, if you do have reviews, and um, you know, the user experience 
kind of all of the, the key points that we've mentioned that Google will also, and in other channels such as Facebook, will look as well from a consumer point of view. You know, is your um, website product or service actually benefiting being on that channel? And, you know, if it, if it kind of falls short of that, you know, you can kind of get penalized by Google or Facebook or, or Microsoft, whoever it may be. And I think that's that's a really useful thing to kind of consider is that, yes, obviously we're trying to make um, – you know, kind of everything is positive and useful for our users as possible, but also consider the fact that, you know, this is also being considered by, by sort of channels such as Google. And I think that's, that's a really useful thing for ultimately aligning business goals to obviously look at the user piece, but also understand how this is going to be viewed from a, from a broader type of um, channel perspective, I think. Yeah, I think that's a massive point that you make there, Tom, that I think we, we often see a lot of people forget is, is the reality is, um, Google wants to serve customers with the most relevant information. That's what they, you know, trying to do. So things like ratings from third-party providers, things things like immediacy calls to actions, playing to searches that people are making in Google. So whether that be, um, you know, um, next day delivery on this product searches or the type of search which ends in now, you know, where it can be. Um, uh, how to boost my internet now, do you know what I mean? And things like that, I think is really interesting. So I think from my perspective, you know, making sure that you've got all of those elements lined up is, is absolutely crucial. And then yeah. how that plays into sort of you creating the content, creating the ad copy, creating the display advertising. I mean, that's not something we've touched on and we're, we're running out of time, so we can't too much. But, but making sure, you know, we touched on this at the start of being present, making sure you're actually available in those conversations and that people are seeing your brand when they're doing doing those searches, I think is really important. You know, I read a statistic the other day that said 73% of consumers said they're, they're always on the lookout for brands and products that are relevant to them. And I think that's really interesting in terms of things like retargeting and remarketing. So engaging when somebody necessarily hasn't hasn't purchased or hasn't followed through with a transaction, what we can do to retarget, remarket towards those, knowing that they may be looking for that purchase intent later down the line. Yeah, and I think a really useful um, sort of sort of uh, study that Google did was they created um, a fictional cereal brand and they put that to users um, in terms of which um, sort of product or which brand would you go towards sort of the established one and the fictional one 28 percent of shoppers actually chose the fictional one with the conditions that essentially that um that fictional brand was essentially supercharged with benefits um such as you know five star reviews 20 percent um extra free or whatever it may be they essentially ticked all the boxes for the six sort of biases that we looked at and i think that's a, a kind of a really key example um to look at in terms of the brand loyalty piece um, you know, if we take example for sort of car dealers, in that same fictional example, 87% of users actually said we're going to go with this fictional brand because it offers us the best benefits and services, whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think that's a key thing is that perhaps before um, some companies could really rely on the power of their brand to sort of keep bringing back their customer base. But I think now when we look at this messy middle and, and sort of the, the options that users have, I think that just emphasizes that you know, you need to be providing your customer base with, with obviously, as I say, you know, the supercharged benefits in terms of why would you, why go to us as opposed to them type thing. I think that's really important. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a really good point, and, and I think it's a good point to finish on actually, Tom, in the sense that you know, 
there is a way that you can move away from, from move loyal customers away from being loyal. And I think that, you know, some of the elements we've talked about today, we've seen absolute examples of where this has happened to clients that we've managed, we are managing, but also things that we've done for some of our clients in terms of making sure that they are visible and compete, et cetera, on, on the right basis. And it's, you know, if you're, if you're a brand, it's part of your defensive strategy, but it also might be part of your offensive strategy. How do you, how do you go and engage with new customers? How do you ensure that you're front of mind? I guess from my perspective, five actionable takeaways. I know we always finish with five actionable takeaways. Number one would be um, use the data you're seeing uh, through your marketing channel performance and web analytics to reimagine how consumer habits and behaviors have changed. They are changing, you know, regardless of COVID, um, pre, post, during COVID. Um, we've seen massive variations in terms of consumer behavior. But we were also seeing significant variations before then. So I think that the online space can just be categorized by the fact that it's ever changing and really challenge your own business assumptions of, of where consumers come from and how they engage with your business and what that consumer journey might look to. Um, ensure brand presence so your product is or service is strategically front of mind while your customers are in that explore phase. So again, map out how you'll achieve this. So whether it be through a, a shopping ad, whether it be through a hotel ad, whether that be on social media platforms, whether it be just on, on the display network in terms of just being present, it's about making sure that you have an understanding about where you can potentially engage with your pockets of customers and key segments within that. Number three then would be, you know, we've talked a bit about things like behavioral science, which isn't what I expected to be to be talking about, to be honest. Um, but we have strayed into those behavioral science elements. So think about that from an intelligent and responsible perspective to make your proposition sort of as compelling to consumers to evaluate their options. Um, consider how you can be your most compelling and benchmark this against the competition. So, for example, be looking at whether they're using reviews, um, whether they're using sort of detailed elements in the power of now or the power of free and think about how you're competing based on that element because as Tom rightly says in, in that Google study they found that people were quite willing to switch if you had all of these key biases ticked off so if they had good reviews if it delivered potentially a quicker service if there was a free offering around that people were actually the propensity to switch went up so be thinking about how you can play into that as, a, as an organization as a brand. Close the gap between trigger and purchase. This is really, from my mind, is much more about a defensive strategy rather than an offensive strategy. But what you don't want is you don't want um, that distance between a consumer uh, sort of being triggered that they need to buy something or need to engage with something. And then the, the barriers to, to actually purchase to be quite high. It's about shortening that distance. For me, it's really, really important. Um, and, and again, think about how you would go about doing this against competitor brands and cutting those out. And then finally, you know, hopefully we did touch on this right at the end, which was you've got to build sort of flexibility and also empower teams to make these changes because it's often a cross-functional element, whether that be in terms of offers, whether that be in terms of ad copy, whether that be in terms of promotion, or whether even that be in terms of operations and logistics. So they sit outside of your marketing department, but be considering sort of the options that you've got, and whether that be an offer from a finance uh, perspective, or whether that be things like looking at um, sort of lifetime value of customers versus one-off purchases. Can we potentially look at having lost leader products that we utilize to engage with sort of 
new customers, but then try and build in loyalty later down the line. I think for me, data is your friend here. You know, always be going back to what data you can get and what that means and how that looks to sort of um, influence what we do and how we do it. And be using that first party data that you've got to really make that decision decision work. Hopefully, as I say, thank you for sticking with us throughout that session. Um, hopefully you found quite a lot of interest in there. And just to remind people um, that the next digital drop-in is on August the 18th, 2020, uh, obviously, at 11.30 a.m. Um, so again, join us next week where we'll be discussing how to supercharge your social media paid and content strategy. Finally, it would be remiss of me not to say this, but again, if you're, you're sat there thinking about how you navigate this area and want somebody um, in terms of um, you know, engagement and how that works um, and, and how you can navigate that messy middle and what that might mean from a range of perspectives, then do get in touch with us. Um, we'd love to hear from you. So thank you very much.